Welcome to Sex Ed Rewind, reflections on how we learn about sex. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. I'm very excited to welcome our next guest, a very good friend, longtime friend of mine. I'm going to read some info about her now so you guys can learn a little bit more about Margot. Margot Reisner is a natural chef, environmental educator, permaculture designer, and potter living on Ohlone land in Northern California. She received her BA in environmental studies from Skidmore College and was certified as a nutritional chef at Bowman College. In addition to crafting functional ceramics, Margot works as a program associate at Insight Garden Program, a therapeutic gardening program for people in prison. Margot is passionate about intersectional environmental justice and anti-oppression work. Her work is focused on empowering communities by fostering meaningful connections to nature, and her life mission is to act as a keystone species who improves ecological and community health with every action and every meal. Margo, welcome to the show. Thanks, Carol. Glad to be here. How are you feeling today? Feeling good. Glad to be here. Okay, so we're just going to dive right into it. We like to start off the show allowing our listeners to kind of get to know you better. So we really want to get into the mind of a young Margot. We want to know what <laughs> she was up to back in the old, in the old uh, teenage years. Oh, good. So fill us in and let us know when you were in high school, what was your favorite band or musician, your favorite fashion trend, and your favorite slang word? Okay, well, my music taste was quite varied. I listened to a lot of Sufjan Stevens, I will say. It was a bit emo and Mm -hmm. uh, complemented that with quite a bit of Bay Area rap. (laughs) And as far as fashion trends, I I will say I did have side swoop bangs. Mm -hmm. I won't say that that was my favorite. It was my least favorite, but it was it was notable. Mm-hmm. It was a statement for sure. I mean, it was a very like early 2000s move, you know, mm-hmm. so um, and I did also wear a lot of tie dye. So mm-hmm. I'm just grateful for that making a comeback these days. I've been waiting my whole life for this <laughs> favorite slang word. I mean, I'm from the Bay Area. I have to say it was hella. And then um, my partner reminded me also of Doja, which is just Great word. It is a good one. I also have like really vivid memories of all of this playing out live. Like I remember your side sweep bangs. Super awkward. I have playlists filled with Bay Area rap. And I was like, yeah. what is this? I don't know, but I'm listening because Margot made it for me. Yeah, it was, it was a time. It was a vibe for sure. Yeah. Okay. So now that we know a little bit about young teenage Margot, let's get into some info about the school. So where was your high school located? What city, town, or state? It was in San Rafael, California, which is in the Bay Area in like a sort of suburban environment near San Francisco and Oakland. And uh, what kind of school was it? Was it a public, private, religious? Super hippie, dippy, private school, like very alternative, hands-on, small, outdoorsy type of Bay Area place. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what decade were you in high school? 
I, it was 2006. I was a freshman in high school and then I graduated in 2010. Nice. Okay. So to contextualize all those fashion trends, now we yeah. know when that was happening. The side swoop. <laughs> oh yeah. What a time to be alive. Oh yeah. Terrible, terrible indeed. Okay. So I'm really excited to have this conversation because I like can only imagine the type of sex ed that such a school produced. So let's get right into the juice. Um, did you receive any sex education when you were in school? I definitely did. Yes. Can you walk us through what that looked like? Yeah. And I, I will say that like in elementary school, which was also kind of an alternative hippie place, we did sort of like sex ed puberty style, you know, and it was like, this is how you put on a condom. You're going to grow hair and like here, you're going to get your period. And that was just awkward, giggly. Everyone was like, ah, and they showed, they put um, a tampon into a bowl of water and showed us how it expanded. And we just like mind blown. Right. You know? So there was some of that. There was, that was the primer when I was younger. And then in high school, they had this class called peer resources or was it? It was something like that. And it was, I think it was just freshman and sophomore year. And um, it was taught by this really, really rad lady who was super fun and interesting. But, and it was about sex, but I felt like it was mostly about STDs and mm. like what, what to be afraid of about mm. sex. There was also some talk of like drugs. And it was like the same class and it was a weekly class and it was about sex and drugs and then some some like communication community building you know interpersonal type work stuff mm -hmm. so that was sort of the class and i i just remember them telling us about crabs and everyone being like oh my god like what? there was like a powerpoint presentation like all about crabs and that is the most vivid memory that i have from that class. The one takeaway is the crabs slideshow. <laughs> crabs is a real bummer. You got to shave your pubes, you know? <laughs> it's a real bummer. Yeah, that was what it was about. I mean, I, it was pretty real. Like they weren't, they de it definitely wasn't like abstinence or anything. Like they were definitely trying to give us the tools we needed to be safe, knowing that we were going to get into some shit and that we were going to have sex and that we were going to probably do drugs. Um, and so it wasn't just like a fear-based class. It was informational and then it, it felt like they were setting up, uh, setting us up to just have places to go to talk to people. And so one of the cool things about this class was that they had these like um, peer educators or I forget the word, but in every grade there were two students who had to like apply to be these support people. And they were like, anybody could go to them with any question. They had extra training and extra education about sex ed and drugs and like all kinds of different things. And they were supposed to be a resource for the rest of your class so that you could not just like the teacher was there and she was actually really cool. And I would have felt comfortable talking to her, but you could also go to someone your age. I don't feel like I ever really took advantage of it, but one of my friends was one of the peer educators. And so it was just nice. I felt like it was a nice, it was a nice idea, even if I didn't you know, take full advantage of it. It was good to know that that was available to us for whenever we wanted to talk about these things. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's all, we're already off to such a strong start here. Like compared to everyone else I've talked to on this show, this is just like light years ahead. Like, first of all, you talked about condoms during puberty education in elementary or middle, did you say? Yeah, I think we were in, I think it was fifth grade. They had like a wooden condom thing and they showed Mm -hmm. us how to put it on and everything. I mean, that's amazing. Most people don't even get that in high school. Like there are many, many states across the country that do not have any type of mention of condoms, let alone a demo. So the fact that you got that, like with your puberty education is really amazing. Like they were clearly trying to set you up for success early on. So that's already like out of the gate. I guess I didn't realize how bad it is everywhere. (laughs) It's B-A-D with capital all three letters. Like it's no good. Yeah. And then the other thing that sticks out to me is that that peer resource, because I think one of the big reasons why young people struggle talking about sex is because not enough adults in their life have the know-how to talk to young people. So it's like really awkward if you think of like a parent or a teacher trying to talk to you about like the birds and the beads, like most young people are going to be like, shut up, shut up, shut up, you know? And having someone available who is an age mate, who is a peer is going to vastly increase the likelihood of a young person approaching them with a really, you know, honest and potentially vulnerable question. Totally. And when I think of like sex ed in the movies or whatever, it's always some like frumpy old teacher in like a plaid skirt who's like literally 90 years old. And it's just, like, why would I want to listen to, you know, and it, and it's become so shame based often when somebody's that much older, it's sort of like, you're a baby, you're not supposed to do any of this, like, no, 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 be afraid of sex, be afraid of all these things. And having our peers be able to talk about it and be like, yeah, like, you're gonna do it. We know we're all gonna do it. Like, how can we do this in a way that's healthy and safe? And then even the teacher that we had, like, I'm pretty sure she had like a purple streak in her hair. She had tattoos. She was like a cool lady, probably, you know, in her thirties or forties, probably someone a lot like you, you know, (laughs) was it me? (laughs) You know, she was like down for it and she was real and she didn't talk. She didn't talk down to us. You know, she, she was honest and she was straight and she like straightforward I mean not like a straight shooter not her yeah. sexuality yeah I think she, I think she was a lesbian in fact but <laughs> she definitely was just very direct but yeah it was cool like I, I did feel supported and I do feel like it was an honest and open place and I, I will say also that like the community that I grew up in is very progressive and very liberal and like people's relationships with their parents and with their like uh, significant others when we were younger was just a lot more like casual than I remember like going to visit the East Coast and even like calling my friend's parents by their last name and shaking everybody's hands like that was new my mom upon meeting friends was like give me a hug you know like boyfriends and girlfriends would sleep over often you know like it wasn't I don't know. It just didn't feel so strict. It was more like, we get it. It's going to happen. Like I'd rather, you know, my mom was like, okay, I know you're probably going to smoke weed. So I'd rather you do it at my house than driving around or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that also set, set the tone for just people being more free and comfortable and like able to be open about it. I mean, I didn't have a super open relationship with my mom, but a lot of my friends 
were very like they would tell their parents about everything that happened to them you know and it was just I feel like the culture is more open about all those things it's not a shame shamey yeah for sure and I think what is also so important when you're trying to cultivate you know the best possible sex education experience is one the way that you make young people feel and two the the packaging that the message comes in. So like if it's someone who's 90 years old or if it's the PE teacher or whatever, um, young people are going to be less inclined to listen and take it seriously because they can tell when someone doesn't know what they're talking about or when someone wasn't trained properly or when someone's trying to make them feel scared. Like they know they're, you know, human beings. And I think just hearing you speak about it, like you so clearly remember feeling open and safe and feeling like you were being talked to honestly, um, you know, directly as a young adult, as you were. And I think that feeling is so important because young people can pick up on that so easily. Totally. Yeah. I mean, and it's the same thing. You're just like more inclined to listen to somebody who you have something to connect with about, like some sort of okay, I get you, you know, I get that you get me and we're, we're connected. We're not completely different. I mean, it's a, a similar thing with like black students having all white teachers. It's just impossible to feel heard and seen and respected when the person who's trying to tell you what to do with your life isn't anything at all like you and can't relate to you on any level. So yeah, I do feel like my school did a good job of giving us ways in and ways to relate to each other and to the teacher and to the curriculum and everything. And I feel like, like if I'm remembering correctly, it would be like, okay, today we're gonna talk about STDs and in a couple of weeks we're gonna talk about like ecstasy and then interspersed it would be like, and now we're gonna do a meditation and next week we're gonna talk all about communication and like nonviolent communication and how, or healthy relationships, like it was very, it was holistic. And the, the one thing that feels a little bit weird for me looking back now, I mean, I guess they were just trying to like educate us about all the different things, but like, why are sex and drugs always linked together? <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, for sure. What is it? Just taboo subjects? Like that's <laughs> what the class is called. It doesn't, those have nothing to do with each other, you know? Yeah. I feel like it's very much adults being like, things we don't want young people to do. Yeah. Drugs and sex and alcohol. Right. Right. Yeah. And like, that's it. Right. Time. Yeah, for sure. And I think another thing that really comes through listening to you speak about your sex education is the understanding that your school really seemed to have that it needs to be a comprehensive class. It's not just condoms and STIs, but it's mm-hmm. social and emotional well-being. It's how you interact with other people. It's how you interact with people of different genders, with people of the same gender. Like it's really not just what happens in the bedroom. It's so much more than that. And so much of the sex education in this country is super sanitized, super biological and anatomical. And we kind of leave it at that. And we really just put young people at such a disadvantage because they have so many thoughts and feelings and urges that are brand new to them. And they don't have the words to talk about it. They don't have the education to contextualize it unless we give it to them. And without a comprehensive approach to sex ed, they're not getting it anywhere. 
Yeah. And honestly, like that's one of my biggest complaints about sex in general throughout my entire life is that people often treat it as just sex when it's really like an emotional, spiritual, physical connection, you know, it can be kind of intense. And if people, (laughs) men are just treating it like, let me use your body. I mean, I get where they learn that, you know, it's clear, like that message was sent to them, like this is sex and it's ooh dirty and you're not supposed to do it. And it's just anatomical and there's nothing else that you need to think about or learn about or be prepared for. Yeah. And it, it really sets people up to get themselves in trouble, get other people in trouble and, and to be hurt like over and over again. Um, because without, that ability to name the way you're feeling, the confidence to say it out loud, the words to articulate it to someone else, there's no way that young people can navigate such a new landscape in a way that is is going to be healthy for them. No, most definitely not. And then when you add in like different genders, different sexualities, and it just like complicates the whole thing. And I feel like people are just not prepared for that, you know, or people from our generation were not prepared for that for the most part in school. I mean, my friends who went to like Catholic school literally got abstinence only sex education. And I mean, they would tell us about it and we were like, what? Like, how can they even get away with saying that? It should be against the law, like to tell lies and to say to kids, never have sex you're never gonna have sex and if you have sex you're gonna be like shunned or whatever i mean that's just like so counterproductive and so many of the kids who went to that school were just super rebellious you know they felt like they had to like ah you know you got to get out because somebody's been holding you back so much that once you're free you like take it too far there's so much value in safe experimentation and having a place where you can like talk about the things that you're thinking about, do the things that you want to do in a safe and conducive environment with people who you trust and who can support you. It just like sets you up for success. I I didn't feel that same urge to like go buck wild once I was out of my parents' house or at another place because I had already like had some room to try things out in a more casual, more structured environment, you know, where I had to like go back to my mom's house at the end of the night. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like sex is one of those things that, um, you know, young people are going to be alone when they do it. They're going to be with themselves and, and the partner that they're choosing. And the best that we can do is give them the tools to use once they don't have us there in the room with them. And telling them that, you know, mean girl style sex ed, like you will get an STI and you will die is not productive. It's not giving them any of the tools that they are going to need to use to be safe and healthy. And it's just completely counterproductive, but, um, check out our Instagram because <laughs> I, I ha- have a post all about um, some of the specific laws about sex education in this country and oh, they are wild. Yeah. Wild. Like there are laws on the books that state that if you talk about sexuality as a spectrum, you must do it in a negative way. Like there's a, there's legislation that states that. Yeah. Oh my wild. God. 
right? Like it's, it's crazy. Like you, you think that it's really outlandish and it's wild, but some of the laws that are on the books are really shocking and disturbing and really, really dangerous. Damn. That is so brutal. Yes. So you, you guys over there in the Bay area were just crushing it. I guess so. I mean, yeah. Yeah, It's wild out there. I mean, it makes sense when you have a bunch of old white guys making laws, you know, but we do. Awesome. So I feel like we really got a good sense of what was happening in your high school. And it sounds like it was just, you know, I'm sure there were flaws, but right now that seems pretty good. Um, So outside of school, you mentioned a little bit the culture of your community, talking Mm -hmm. about the openness um, just between young people and adults and between you and your peers. Can you walk us through outside of school, where did you find yourself getting uh, information about sex? Um, I mean, just my friends. I think I didn't really talk to my family about like anything. (laughs) I was an angsty teenager, you know, but... My friends and I were all super close and honest and would really talk about everything. And and the other piece that I feel like is important to mention is that both like my elementary, middle and high schools, which were these very alternative educations, they really emphasize talking about your feelings. Like we were forced to talk about our feelings consistently, regularly. You had to know how to check in with yourself. You had to know how to tell somebody when you were having an issue with them. And so, and and you had, yeah, you just had to be emotionally aware. And they really, really hammered that in. And at the time we were like, oh, it's so annoying. Another, you know, feeling circle, but it really set us up for success. I mean, it just made me so much more able to talk to my friends about what was going on for me even if I was frustrated with them or talked to my partners when something was going on, it just like, I, I felt so much more comfortable doing that because I had been taught to do that from a very, very young age. And just so. to interject, that is sex ed. Like we forget that you don't have to talk about penises for it to be sex ed. Like emotional right. literacy training right. is sex ed. Yes. Yeah. I mean, thank you so much for saying that. Yes, absolutely. And even just tying it back to the work that I do now where I teach gardening in prison, it's our, our program is so holistic. We do a lot of this education as well, like communication, uh, effective listening, how to advocate for your needs, how to ask thoughtful questions like meditation, you know, emotion checks, feeling your body. Like there's so many things that are just should, everybody should get that education period end of the story, you know, like end Mm -hmm. of sentence, that's it. Everyone should get that and not enough people do. And no matter what context it's in, it's going to be super useful for you. So I felt, I felt like I had that growing up and I was set up to like use those skills. And I mostly just talked to my friends about it, but my friends and I were all super open about it. Like I, they were basically therapists and we were all each other's therapists and would talk about every little thing that happened to us. Um, and we're just super open. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I mean, it's so clear that it worked. <laughs> I mean, the the model that your school and your community chose to go with clearly worked. I mean, knowing you and I've met a lot of your friends, you know, from growing up, and it's just clear that you guys were were set up for success. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, in terms of emotional literacy. 
Totally. I feel like that is the biggest gift that I was given from these very funky schools that I attended. (laughs) Yeah. Very funky indeed. I mean, you guys were totally in like sort of an insular community. Like it was kind of like your little bubble. Do you remember any influences that kind of infiltrated that bubble? Like media, did you get any info about sex from the movies or, you know, the TV? Like did that, you know, present as sort of like a major source of info for you or not so much? I mean, of course it did. I think, yeah. And obviously like the 2000s were just such a bad time for women and anyone who didn't fit the model standard of like being stick thin with no pubic hair, no hair at all and blonde Mm -hmm. and blue eyed and like just that definitely made its way in. Um, And even thinking about like the porn that people were watching and that my friends were watching. I'm thinking mostly of like the men that I used to date. They, I knew that they were watching porn where women had no hair and like were super skinny and just super submissive. And that was, that was the resounding message from every single outside source in the culture, like from the media, from movies, from porn, from magazines, literally everything was saying, women be small and submissive and a Barbie, basically, you know? Um, So that, it infiltrated for sure. Even like, I mean, I was very much encouraged to be a strong woman with a a voice and to stand up for what I believed in. And like, my mom did a great job with that, you know, really instilling that in me. But I still was like, it's hard to continue to go against that when all of society is telling you that you're doing it wrong and that you have to be more quiet and that you don't get to ask for what you need and um, that you're supposed to look a certain way. Like, I definitely did not make it out unscathed. Like it, it got to me and it got to most everybody I know in some way, shape or form. And that's really just to say the messages that women were receiving. It's like men were receiving also these toxic, crazy messages about how they were supposed to act and be. Yeah. And then like a complete erasure of anyone that was neither a man nor a woman. Right. Right. So it's like all this messaging is just garbage. (laughs) This is how you be a man and this is how you be a woman and everything else does not exist or is not okay. Yeah. I mean, for sure. So this is, I think, actually a really good segue um, into a conversation about intersecting identities. So can you share with us what your intersecting identities are, the ones that are important to you? Yeah. um, I'm a woman. I come from Jewish heritage and I struggle with chronic illness. So I feel like that's the main identity that feels really underrepresented is I am not, I would not say that I am able-bodied and there's just that when I was younger, there was no talk about that pretty much. It was like either you have like a severe disability where you're in a wheelchair and there was no talk of all the invisible invisible disabilities that people were living with. And in high school, I was sick, like all the time, like so ill 24 seven. And because of all the messaging that I was receiving, I was just like covering it up and hiding it. And I didn't feel like I could talk about it. I didn't feel like there was room for it. 
I didn't feel like I could tell my boyfriend about what was going on with me physically. Like it just felt really um, swept under the rug at that time. My Jewish heritage is something that I learned about it when I was older because my grandparents were Holocaust survivors who did not tell anyone that they were Jewish until we didn't find out till after they had died. So that's like a, an identity that is, um, it's confusing for me to grapple with because I wasn't raised practicing Judaism at all. And I'm not really religious, but that is my heritage. And yeah, there is a reason that I didn't see a lot of people who looked like me on the media, (laughs) you know, like it was, it wasn't common. And it's interesting now that you have the language to talk about all of this, you know, like you can recognize that when you were in high school, you didn't see yourself represented one because of the way you were feeling like at that point it was, it was undiagnosed. Mm-hmm. And also you didn't know that you had this Jewish Jewish heritage. So do you remember feeling at the time um, like underrepresented in those identities I just felt hidden and I felt like I was trying to be as like, I was trying to like slide by unnoticed, you know, like I didn't want people to see the ways in which I was different because they weren't ever talked about and there was no representation or there was, there was some Jewish representation, but it wasn't common and it wasn't definitely wasn't common to, feel represented as someone with chronic illness and with disabilities. Um, And so I just tried to hide those parts of myself. I just didn't really talk about it. Like I didn't tell anybody how I was feeling most of the time. And I, I, I feel like it connects back to the sex education so much because really what was, it was rooted in body shame. Like I was just so ashamed of what my body felt and was going through and didn't feel comfortable talking to anyone about it and hiding it. And it perpetuated my illness because if I had spoken up earlier or felt like I had the space to tell somebody what was going on with me, I may have gotten diagnosed earlier and gotten healthier, faster. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just felt like I was like sunken in and, and trying to hide Yeah. And I think what is really noteworthy about this particular part of your story is that like you went to this crazy progressive school that really taught you to talk about your feelings like at every step of the way. And you talked about how emotionally literate you felt as a young person. Um, But without that representation, you still like without that representation and even with all of those skills that they gave you, you were still not able to feel seen and therefore come forward with your needs. And so like, I feel like it really just highlights how important representation is. Like, even if you give people all these tools, if you are not seeing yourself and your experience, it's, it's still going to be that much harder for Mm -hmm. you to speak up and get your needs met. Totally. Yeah. I mean, society is one hell of a drug. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. Even though people were telling me like, you can talk about your feelings. It's cool. You know, you're good. But everything else over here is saying, no, no, you're a girl. You don't poop. Like you're not allowed to have bodily functions or talk about them or be not okay. <laughs> like you have to be okay all the time. 
um, it just, it gets to you, you know, it doesn't matter how strong of a person you are. Like that's the message that we were receiving from every fucking direction. And um, I was not strong enough to resist that. And it was many, many years after that, that I really started to address my illness in a way that made me start to get better. It's still something that I deal with all the time. But years later, I was like, no, I need to, I need to work on this. I got to figure this out. This is something that I need to pay attention to. And, and what do I need in order to heal and have the resources that I need to be healthy, even if that means not being cool. Like I can't eat a lot of things that other people eat. There's a lot of things that make me like, it's, it's like socially unaccess- unacceptable to refuse certain things because they will literally make me sick. And I think that was a lot of what was happening to me when I was younger is just societal pressure. I was like, I don't want to be difficult, you know, (laughs) but it feels like now I, I can stand in my power and say, yeah, this is how I need to be in order to be well. Yeah. And I feel like particularly as women, you have like learning to say no is Mm -hmm. something that every woman has to do because we're, we're just taught to be, be the yes people, you know, like we'll always accommodate. We'll always do whatever we need to do to make other people feel comfortable. Um, we, and like, we've talked about this before, just like, yeah, just like wanting to be the chill girl who like hangs out with all the guys and like never makes waves and like laughs at the dirty jokes and like, totally isn't high maintenance and like eats cheeseburgers. <laughs> it's just like, right, right. Like that, I yeah. feel like all those like societal stereotypes and boxes are so in tension with what you needed to be doing, but what were so strongly heaped upon us all that it's like, yeah, unless you're like superwoman, like you're not going to be able to, to figure no. that out until you're older. Totally not. And it reminds me a lot of just consent like it connects back to that conversation because consent requires a certain amount of a person being willing to stand up and say no and I remember when the like me too movement happened and everybody was talking about their experiences and I was thinking about it and realizing like wow yeah there have been so many times when I have been coerced and manipulated and tried to say no but couldn't really get it out of myself and just felt like so submissive and I had I just I felt like a freaking mop like I was just floppy and I I wasn't able to stand up for myself and it it really requires like seeing other people doing that and making that the norm and in the group of friends like somebody says hey that joke's racist actually that's not funny to me at all and then you're like oh you can do that okay (laughs) yeah that's Wait, allowed. Yeah. Next I don't have to make everybody comfortable all the time. <laughs> yeah, totally. Really? <laughs> I mean, and that whole idea of like avoiding conflict and being comfortable, the right to comfort is such a white supremacist ideal. So yeah, fuck that. <laughs> but yeah, totally. It's but just, we're, we're adults now. We didn't know we could say fuck right, that before. Right, right. Yeah, I didn't know. And I hadn't seen other people really doing that. I think it's just really hard. It was really hard and still is really hard to stand up for myself and to stand up for what I know is right. And and especially when it comes to my own needs, it's honestly harder for me to stand up for my own needs. Like if somebody wants to talk about 
why we shouldn't defund the police or why we shouldn't abolish prisons. Like, oh, I'm in, I'm ready to like talk about that and stand up for somebody else. But when it comes to standing up for me, sometimes I still kind of feel like that meek little teenager. Mm-hmm. Totally. What's coming up for me listening to you speak about that is how women are treated in healthcare. We are so often not believed. Our pain is thought to be not real. We're constantly, yep. you know, under medicated and it's not believed quite frankly. And I just think about like, no one knows our bodies more than we do. For every single person, regardless of gender, like you are the person that knows the most about your body. And through the lens of chronic illness, as a woman, if you are constantly being told that your body is not yours and you're probably exaggerating, grown women aren't able to combat that and live with chronic, like let alone a teenager, you know, it's just like it, there's, there's just no shot. And, and I think it's really interesting too, because you know, some reckonings are happening every day in our society, which we just love to see. Mm-hmm. Like, let the reckonings continue. Pulling back the veil. Let's yes. do it. Um, and I feel like there, there's a huge push for inclusion of all kinds, um, race, gender, sexuality. But I do feel like one that's lagging is disability awareness. And like right. you mentioned, knowing that disability existed, but it was like only if you were in a wheelchair and anything shy of that, like you're good. Mm-hmm. So like the spectrum of disability is still vastly underrepresented. I mean, the lens of this podcast is sex education. So we'll, we'll stick with that, but obviously everywhere. Um, yeah. But in sex ed, and it's, it's so relevant to sexuality in your sex life. Yes, we, we've talked about and acknowledged that so much of sex is mental and emotional, but like the physical things that you can and cannot do are going to determine the type of sex that you can and cannot have. And so to oh. not have any representation of alternatives to penis and vagina sex or like anything other than that just doesn't really exist right now. Yeah. And like other forms of intimacy, you know, like there's a lot of times when I just don't feel good. And like my partner has to understand, like, it's not happening tonight. Like my stomach hurts or something's going on. I got a headache. Like I'm not in a good place. And when I was younger, I never told anyone. I just powered through having sex feeling like shit and it doesn't feel good. I'll tell you that much. Like it's not pleasurable to have sex when you are not physically comfortable. You have to like be able to say, I can't do that. And that's so hard. I mean, like when I was going to doctors, I received so much of that gaslighting. Like they told me to just go see a therapist. They told me that I was just anxious. One doctor told me to take Advil every single day for the rest of my life and go home basically. And even like when I had the courage to say to my mom, like, Hey, I I don't feel good today. Like my stomach hurts or something. She would just say, Oh, you're just like probably nervous or something, you know, the end and just brush me off. You sought a diagnosis for years. I remember. Yeah. Yeah, For years. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing that. I mean, it's never easy to revisit that. Um, So I really appreciate you opening up and I know whoever is listening will appreciate it and hopefully feel seen through your story. So I'd love to bring it forward to today, modern day, the the right now, you know, beyond high school. Thank God. Um, Uh, We made it. (laughs) We made it. How do you think that your sex education journey has impacted your relationship to sex today? I mean, the number one thing that comes to mind is just seeing it holistically. 
wanting to talk during sex, wanting to have intellectual stimulation before having sex, like wanting to experience intimacy in all different formats, not just like penis and vagina or whatever, you know, like to really explore the, the human body and the human brain and all of the things that we are. I feel like that's the biggest value for me today that feels like it is a, a gift from the past. <laughs> At the end, that is what my conclusion was from all of the messaging that I received and all of the shit that I've been through. It's like, okay, yeah, you're a whole person and whoever you're going to be in relationship with is also a whole person. And in order to feel like super comfortable and super awesome about the sex that you're having, you got to acknowledge that and like be, be there with all of that, which I think for a lot of people is scary, especially when you're having sex with someone who's not necessarily like your partner, somebody you've been with a long time. Like even when I'm having, you know, have had casual relationships or whatever, I still want to know a little bit about the person. I still want to have some sort of emotional, social, spiritual connection. It just feels like for me, that feels necessary. Even if it's like kind of unspoken, it can still be a vibe. That connection, that vibe. Yeah, you can still get that. Um, and I feel like that is hard for a lot of people and they're not super comfortable talking in general about anything, anything but especially like sex and emotions and feelings. And I, I feel like that's why we have this, you know, epidemic of ghosts in the dating world where they're just like oh hey i'm out (laughs) and and they just like freak out and go when all you needed to say is like hey this is how i'm feeling and you know goodbye i I wish you the best you know and like i'm sure people would respond a lot better than that to that than just disappearing but ghosts out galore (laughs) the whole society is riddled with it's like a freaking seance up in here. Yeah, it's like Halloween 365. You know what I mean? It's not good. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's spooky. It's real spooky. <sighs> well, I mean, usually most people say it affected me because it's all bad and it's all bad now. So I feel like that positivity is really appreciated. It's like a no, breath of fresh air. Yes. I feel like I am so like in modern day, Margot is so freaking pissed at the sex education that every person she's ever dated has experienced because they have been kind of shitty partners in yeah. all, like most of the time, you know, and especially men like, and not to just keep harping on it, but that's your lived experience. So you're fair. That's my fair. lived experience. And like, I'm not saying it's their fault for being emotionally unavailable and abusive and coercive and, just violent in general that's what they learned i feel for men because they haven't been given a healthy version of power they don't know how to be in themselves and how to be a healthy man you know like they haven't been taught that most of them i will say i don't know everybody obviously but in my experience that that has been like a resounding theme is that these men are just like kind of tortured because they aren't able to embrace their feminine side or talk about things or really be real all the time. Um, 
Yeah. So that's something else that I've noticed. So is there anything that you wish that you could unlearn? Mm. Well, I will, I just feel like the, you know, Gen Z, this younger generation than us is super on point with embracing all kinds of differences. Like even, you know, 10 years ago, wasn't that long ago when I was young and they were like, if you don't shave your armpit or if you, yeah, if you don't shave your armpits, that's disgusting. You know, you'll never get a man. You'll never get a man. You know, like it wasn't that long ago. (laughs) And I do feel like I, I wish I could unlearn just those body standards that were put on me. And same goes for like gender and sexuality. It was very much just like by the book. And I know that even in my liberal place where, you know, I had lots of, I have lots of friends who are gay. I have friends whose parents are gay and who like, you know, there, there was a lot of that where I grew up, but it still was kind of taboo even though people pretended like you know we I live in San Francisco like it's open it's a gay town or whatever but it still didn't feel safe and comfortable and there was still a lot of standards saying like be straight be straight be normal look like this model you know and there definitely was not hardly any representation for non-binary or trans people like that was super rare when I was in high school I, I wish that I could unlearn some of those standards. Yeah, that's a really good one. Okay, so final question of the show. Knowing what you know now, what do you wish that your sex education journey could have looked like? I think even more openness and communication the whole way, all along. Um, More room for experimentation and, and playing with, sexuality, playing with kinks, like just less shame in general across the board. Yeah, less shame and just destigmatizing like all the things and allowing people and if I I wish that I was allowed to just be myself (laughs) and to be like true to that and be embodied and to explore what that meant. Um, without feeling pressure and shame and taboo. Yeah. These answers always strike me because it's like, it wouldn't be that hard <laughs> to create this environment, but we just, we just really are choosing not to. Um, yeah. So it can, it can feel really frustrating to hear like just, just some minor changes would really make some massive differences. Totally. And I think um like you said earlier, representation is huge. And if teachers and people in our lives are willing to just really model, this is what it looks like to be open and non-judgmental. The whole world opens up in front of young people and adults alike. We need more people who are just going to not be weird about stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like, especially as young people, like they're just seeking permission. And like, if we just have people that like give you permission to be your authentic self, ask questions that you think are weird, show interest, show vulnerability, like show all the spectrums of human emotion. Just like give the permission for people to just be themselves. 
Yeah, because so much of like all the, what's behind all that like giggling and ooh, like fetish, what, you know, and like kind of making fun of that is like, wait, so is this okay? Like you're kind of looking around to see everybody else's reaction and then you see everybody is laughing with you. Okay, no, I'm not going to do that. You know what I mean? That's weird for sure. And that's just completely made up and arbitrary. And I wish we could just erase all of that. Yeah. My favorite tool when I teach sex ed in high schools is when I get asked a question that's clearly supposed to like rattle me, you know, they want to make this woman like say penis or whatever. And then I just address it. Like it was a very serious question. Like I take all the humor. I'm like, Oh, that's actually a really good question. Let me get into it. Yeah. And then there's silence and rigorous note taking. You know, like immediately everyone's like, oh, wait, we all really wanted to know that. I did want to know that. Yeah, totally. Okay, well, Margo, before we uh, sign you off, I would love to give you the opportunity to share with anyone listening where they can follow along with you, your pottery, your work at Inside Garden, anything else you want to shout out. We're at Inside Garden on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Best job in the world. I love the work we do. Check it out. My pottery account is Blue Otter Botanicals, where I talk about food and pottery and the earth and all the things that I do in my life. Fantastic. And I will tag all of those on the website and on Instagram. So if people aren't sure about spelling and stuff, you can find it all there. Thanks, Caro. Thank you so much for joining us, Margo. This is such a rich and wonderful convo. And um, I can't wait to see what you do in the future. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for opening up the space. It's like so fun to talk about this. And I don't feel like I've had many opportunities to. So I'm grateful for that. Agreed. It was so fun. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. find the show on instagram at sex ed rewind or online on my website at caroconfort.me i drop new episodes to podcast platforms every monday the cover art and website are by kelsey reifler and the podcast is produced and edited all by me 